Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today on our show, we've got Dan Watkins, Peter John McLaughlin. Oh, Peter. It's all right. Start again. <laughs> Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today, we've got Dan Watkins, Peter Johnson, Ian McLaughlin. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. <laughs> One more time. I apologize. <laughs> Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today, we've got Dan Watkins, Ian McLaughlin, Peter Johnson. John Farber. And I'm Hazel Burton. I'm just looking at you, John, the smile on your face, resisting, trying to mess this up. So hard. <laughs> <laughs> on our show today, we have got our film buff or film bluff quiz. And we'll be giving you our first review of Tenet, courtesy of Dan, who has been out to the cinema and has tried to take it all in. He took an entire cinema in. <laughs> I was just waiting for John yeah, my to say, I knew it. I was, uh, yeah, I, was, I, I was resisting as well. <laughs> uh, so we've got Ian back. Hello. Hey. <laughs> How are you? What have you been up to? I've been busy um, growing a beard, which I'm quite proud of, and uh, just tried to deal with life in general. But I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm very, very pleased to be back and very excited. <laughs> Speaking of life in general, uh, two of our nerds have made rather significant steps in the last couple of days. So, uh, Dan, you're a married man. I am, as of uh, two days before this recording. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> I would like to say in true nerd wedding style... At half past nine on Dan's wedding evening, we got a message from him saying, here's a Star Wars quiz, would you like to do it? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pleased some things never change and the priorities remain as they should be. Yes, we spent the evening playing the new Avengers game on PS4 and watching Mulan on Disney+. Plus. So it was a good nerd wedding day. Mm. Amazing, yeah. How was Mulan? Uh, good. My wife, um, who I can, oh! now call, I can now call her that. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, she preferred the animated version. And I would probably agree. There's some fantastic fight choreography. Donnie Yen is excellent, as always. And it's got a great visual flair to it. But I think the story is slightly better told in the animated version, despite the problematic talking dragon voiced by Eddie Murphy. There's also less um, pro-Beijing rhetoric in the original animated version. Yes, I know that the actor who plays Mulan has said some pro-China things regarding the situation in Hong Kong, shall we say. Oh dear. Were you watching it thinking, oh, I wish I could be watching this at the cinema? Yes. Mm. It should have had a cinema release. There was a scale to it that would have looked really good on a big screen. I think it's sad that they didn't do that, because I know Bill and Ted has come out in America on video on demand, but also with a cinema release for those who want to go and see it at the cinema. And it seems a slightly sad decision of Disney to not give the opportunity for people that wanted to go and see it in a cinema to do that. Yeah. Um, but yes, in our other life update, John, you, you and Louise have a new member of your family. <gasps> we do, yes. Uh, not a human one, but we have... I, 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 I've heard the phrase fur baby used, which again, <laughs> I'm sure Ian has paid for a fur baby in the past, but in an entirely different way. <laughs> 
we have a we have a new puppy. Yes. Yes. And what's her name? She's called Ripley. Hey. After sci-fi's greatest female hero. So only you can say, get away from her, you bitch. Pretty much, yeah. We do have a toy face hugger. Uh, at some point, we might introduce it and see, see what happens. <laughs> and um, from those awesome pieces of news and lovely celebrations, like many people across the world, uh, we woke up to the utterly shocking news last week that Chadwick Boseman uh, died of colon cancer at the age of 43. Known for his roles as Jackie Robinson in the biopic 42, Storming Norm in The Five Bloods, and of course T'Challa in Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, uh, absolutely gutted about uh, about his death and uh, incredibly shocked to learn that he had been suffering um, with sort of stage three, progressing to stage four colon cancer for the past four years and had filmed uh, some of these amazing roles in between uh receiving treatment so just wanted to acknowledge that and uh uh yeah <laughs> i'm not sure what else to say mm. yeah very sad news obviously the cultural impact he had as t'challa for generations of people from pan-african backgrounds and beyond you can't really understate that His performance isn't the most showy in Black Panther or in the MCU, but he held himself like a king. You believed him as a leader. And there's one moment I think of, which is my favourite moment in the trailer for Infinity War, where he just says, evacuate the city, abandon all defences and get this man a shield. He's the kind of leader that Mm. if he charges into battle, you would follow him and there's something about Bozeman's performance as that character mm-hmm. that might not have worked as well had it been anyone mm-hmm. else. So very sad. We're not going to get to see him do it again. I read um, a really lovely story on the BBT this morning about how the man who first told Chadwick Bozeman that he would play the role of Black Panther before he even knew that a film would be made was an Australian bodyguard and comic book collector called Charles Carter. And he first met Chadwick on the set of Gods of Egypt and they bonded over their mutual love of martial arts and kung fu and boxing and like in between takes they would dissect and analyse the style and technique of various boxers and then the makeup artist would then reprimand them for, for, for play fighting because he would get all sweaty before the next take. Charles Carter has said that he wasn't Hollywood. He was friendly and calm, but he didn't have any fake familiarity with people. He owned himself. He was friendly to everyone and all the crew on the set. And he had this regal authority that made people listen to him. So he said to him, I know the perfect role for you. Charles Carter is a huge comic book fan. Um, He'd known the story of Black Panther since the age of 10 when he picked up a first issue of that comic. So he went home to fetch his first edition copy of the Black Panther comic book from 1977 and wrote a note in it to say, you're going to get this role. And he put (laughs) that comic book in Chadwick Boseman's trailer. No sign that Marvel were going to do a Black Panther movie at that point or even bring him into the universe, uh, but it kind of became a thing that was built into his head. Um, and after uh, the news that um, Chadwick had died, Charles Carter um, gave an interview on this topic for the first time. Never spoken about it before. Um, Chadwick Boseman had, but he hadn't. And he said, 
my friend showed that it's possible to have diverse, strong and powerful leads that are box office wins. And when one person does that, it will give inspiration for many others to follow. So I thought that was a really, really nice story that I hadn't heard before. And uh, really, really true that he is an inspiration in, in more ways than one. And I'm just very, very sorry for all the fans across the world who woke up with that news like we did. Mm-hmm. There's also a, a really nice tribute that's been paid. I've been watching the um, Tom Hanks's The Movies documentary which was released last year, 10-part series about the whole history of cinema. Absolutely fantastic, which I'll do a review of. I've written one of it. I think you'll love it. But they've re-edited the titles. And so the title sequence now ends with Black Panther. It's a big, bold state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just thought, what, what a lovely, simple little tribute yeah. to change the, the titles or something. And, oh, yeah. this is lovely. I think it's it's clear how valued he was as a member of the MCU by the fact that he and Shuri were the first people to come out of the portals in uh, in Endgame. Yeah, and you listen to those live reactions to screenings of Endgame. When Black Panther comes out, people go crazy for him, and yeah. rightly so. Yeah. Wakanda forever! <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the last thing I saw Chadwick Boseman in was as Stormy Norman in Five Bloods with Jonathan Majors, who... I've started watching in Lovecraft Country. John, you recommended that on the last episode, did you not? How's it been going? Hmm, it's been mixed, I think would be fair. So <laughs> I absolutely veered about the first episode and I stand by that. There's been two more episodes since then and I think it's fair to say it's more of a mixed bag. <laughs> Definitely up and down or rather down and up into the <laughs> second and third. Mm. The second episode was pulpy and camp in a way that was perhaps hinted at in the first episode, but... It just seemed to be tonally completely different. Still a lot of fun, I would say, but none of that subtext that was there or the interesting racial allegories and so on that were going on in the first episode. Instead, we had like the son of Adam and weird cults and snake penises (laughs) and characters who didn't seem to me to behave realistically in the situation they were in at all. Which is odd because so much of that first episode, like mm-hmm. three quarters of it, was setting a realistic world for this stuff to be in. Yeah. It was like an entirely different series, wasn't it, in the second mm. one? It felt like season three of Riverdale. <laughs> and anybody who stuck with Riverdale that far will know that is not a good thing. <laughs> and then the third episode, to some extent, was more back on track, I think. It's more yeah. of a sort of haunted house story, but still with some racial stuff in there. What we seem to be getting, um, which I perhaps didn't appreciate so much from the first episode, is very episodic, almost like anthology series, but with the same characters and with a continuing understory that I think will tie together at the end. So almost like, you know, back in Buffy where you would have individual episodes, but the, the big bad. I think in interviews before the series first started showing, the creators did compare it to Buffy and said that's what the style of what we're trying to go for. I mean, Buffy has its sort of monster of the week in addition to its arc plot. But in this case, it just feels like a different tone in each episode. Yeah. In the third episode as well, seems to not join on to the second episode at all. It justifies it in the last maybe four or five minutes. But you've spent the entire episode thinking, why did we just jump here? Why have we, why have we gone there? Yeah, I mm-hmm. I had to pause at one point, the third episode, and ask Andy, where is this episode set? Is it before or after the events of episode two? Because it, they acknowledged it ever so slightly, but I just thought, shouldn't you be a little bit more upset? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
you know, it, it, it felt a little bit odd. I mean, I, I started watching it after your recommendation, John, which is unusual for me to listen to what you say. But, <laughs> <laughs> That'll teach you. I really, really, really enjoying it. And whilst I thought episode two was a slight dip, I wasn't... I, Maybe it's because my expectations were so low for episode two, but it, it didn't <laughs> seem like the train wreck that I thought it was going to be. There was lots of it I really, really enjoyed. Um, this is really, really, uh, I think, a, a compelling series. I can't wait to see where it goes next. I think episode two, to be fair to it, I may not have enjoyed it because of my expectations of what I was going to get from episode yeah. one. And I don't know whether that's my fault rather than the series' fault. No, I think everyone felt the same about that second episode. I don't think it's just you. Mm-hmm. We were like, oh, okay, this isn't as good as we thought it was going to be. We'll watch episode three and see. Uh, and we're, we're kind of back in by the end of episode three, I would say. There's some good full-blooded horror in episode three. It's the scariest episode, I think, yet. Um, oh, and that's yeah. really well done. Yeah, thanks mm-hmm. for that lingering shot at a certain moment. That was, that mm-hmm. was nice. <laughs> the Guardian are doing episode-by-episode episode recaps by Ellen Jones which they put online on the Monday or the Tuesday. They do a really good job both of reviewing the episode and putting the episode in the cultural context of what was happening in real life at the time and what's real and what's made up and also sort of further links in like a bibliography almost. So um, further reading around it and stuff. And they're really, really well done and actually help me understand the episodes a lot more. Hmm. So are we all going to continue to travel through Lovecraft Country? We are, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, we are too. In the vanguard of Lucat adaptations, it's gone from Reanimator all the way down to Castle Freak, but now back up to Colour Outer Space. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that would whatever. be nothing to anybody who hasn't seen those various straight to video. No, but I do remember you reviewing Colour Out of Space and, and thinking that I'm never in a million years am I ever going to watch that. It sounds horrific. <laughs> No matter what you think of the series, it's clear that it's been crafted with love. Oh. <laughs> That's why we have you back in. <laughs> and now it's time for a round of film buff or film bluff. We've all secretly prepared three film facts, but one of them we have made up entirely, and it's our job to try and guess which one is the bluff. So, uh, Ian, since uh, this is the first time you're joining us for a while, why don't you kick us off? Okay, I've cheated a bit. I've actually got four, because they're quite short. (laughs) Just can't follow the rules. One of them's a load of bollocks, and the other three are real, and they're all genuine bad movie reviews. Okay. 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 So first of all, is a review of Battlefield Earth. And it says this. Battlefield Earth is that amazing turd in your toilet bowl. <laughs> that log of shit that has colours that you can't understand for reasons for being there. It also has a weird shape and somehow resembles something familiar. You almost want to take a picture of it and show friends late at night when the blinds are drawn. And you say to your friend, have you ever seen anything quite like this? And your friend goes, whoa, what a piece of shit. And your response is, yeah. But it's fascinating, isn't it? And your friend goes... Dude, why did you take a picture of this log of shit? Why did you waste film on this turd? My point exactly. That's the review of Battlefield Earth. <laughs> That's a hell of a long review. <laughs> the rest are shorter. Uh, the next is um, Passion of the Christ. And the review is, The Passion of the Christ is one adaptation of a book that the studio should have considered changing. It's just so predictable. <laughs> <laughs> well, they nailed it, didn't they? Oh, oh God. 
Uh, next is a review of Rob Zombie's Halloween remake. Basically, the review says, fuck you out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, a review of Victor Frankenstein. And it says, even James McAvoy and Daniel Radcliffe couldn't save this monster. Mm. So which one of those is bollocks? Is it Battlefield Earth, The Amazing Turd? Is it The Passion of the Christ, Predictable? Is it uh, a Halloween remake, Fuck You Out of Ten? Or is it Victor Frankenstein, even James McAvoy and Dan Radcliffe couldn't save this monster? I can certainly believe the Victor Frankenstein one. I've never seen that, but I have seen Rob Zombie's Halloween remake. And I did shout fuck you at the screen several times. <laughs> Java gets. It's got to be the amazing turd, isn't it? I was waiting for you to use that for every review. So, right. <laughs> the Christ. <laughs> Although, would he have done a stupidly long review if all the others were really, really short? It's Ian. Of course he would. <laughs> I think that's also the only time I've heard Ian say the word dude. So that makes me think that one is genuine. And I reckon that the passion of the Christ being predictable could be uh, Ian's revelationary religious yeah. secret bluff. And I think he's made that one up. But I've never seen the passion of the Christ. I don't know if there's a twist at the end. I've seen the passion of the Christ on a DVD where the audio description track was stuck on. And it's just this guy just in play voice going, Jesus is being lashed. The lashes are hurting Jesus. Now Jesus is being beaten by a Roman guard, and it added a really weird surrealistic element to it. It's a terrible film. Mel Gibson likes torture, basically, doesn't he? Does a bit. I half expected Jesus to get like a car battery with clamps on his nipples at the end <laughs> as a little extra bit. So I'm going Passion of the Christ. I'm going to go um, fuck you out of ten. Turd. I don't think Ian will have seen the Rob Zombie Halloween film. Also, the idea of Daniel Radcliffe and James McAvoy rescuing any film. like The, the, the suggestion of that last one is that <laughs> putting Daniel Radcliffe in a film normally makes it better. So there's a logical fallacy in that last one. I, I hope he's made the Battlefield Earth one up, but I think he's made the Passion of the Christ one up. Okay, so we've got two for Passion of the Christ. We've got one for Rob Zombie, wasn't it? Yeah. And what was the other one? Turd. Uh, and the turd, okay. Well, the answer is Passion of the Christ. Hey! <laughs> it's completely made up. The, the other three are genuine reviews. <laughs> wow. Excellent. I'm very pleased. <laughs> Who wants to go next? I, I've done a special film buff or film bluff to celebrate the wedding of Daniel and Amy. Ah, The wife, apparently, <laughs> who she is now going to be referred to as. These are three films about weddings. Film number one is I Married a Monster from Outer Space. This is a film in which on the first anniversary, following her husband killing her dog, she seems to suspect that all is not right. She finds that, in fact, it is not her husband, but a husk of a shell that has been filled by an alien invader who, together with other men in the town, are seeking to impregnate the women in order to continue their species. Mm -hmm. Film number two is Till Death Do Us Part. Death spelt D-E-A-F. So this <laughs> film features Connor, who lost his hearing following an explosion at a fireworks factory. Can I just point out that everybody's got their heads in their hands <laughs> while listening to this? Yep. All Connor wants to do 
is here is bride on her wedding day. <laughs> so... But surely it's the wrong title. It should have been Here Comes the Bride. Here. Oh. <laughs> well, I didn't make this up, you know, this, this is a real film. So of course, yeah. Okay, Please so um, it's continue told. with your made up story. <laughs> All Connor wants to do is hear his wife say. <laughs> <laughs> it's hear his wife say, I do on the wedding day. On the stag do, the week before the wedding. He meets a mysterious stranger who gives him a magical hearing aid that seems to be the cure to all his problems. But upon putting the hearing aid in, all he can hear is the souls of the dead husbands that his bride have killed before, warning him away. (laughs) And finally, (laughs) film number three is One Wedding and Lots of Funerals. (laughs) 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 <laughs> one wedding and lots of funerals features a thousand year old record. <laughs> can I just say when Andy and I get married um, can you please not do a wedding related <laughs> buffer bluff um, <laughs> features a thousand year old leprechaun who steals a man's girlfriend to be his bride the man has to rescue his girlfriend from the leprechaun via various tasks including stealing his gold from him <laughs> Engaging in a drinking contest in an Irish bar and having a go-kart race. All, all, the, yeah, all the stereotypes. Great. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. Two of those films are real and one is made up. <laughs> Discuss away. Well, I, I know <laughs> I know that Mar- I Married a Monster from Out of Space is a real movie. Yep. Because I've definitely. seen it. Yeah, so that's real. The other two is anyone's fucking guess. <laughs> I'd really like the leprechaun one to be real. Yeah, I want it to be real as well. So on that basis, I think I'm going to go with the middle one because I would just love for that last one to be a real thing. I concur with Dan, absolutely. Yeah, yeah me too. Same here. Yeah. You are all correct. Yay! <laughs> Until death to us part or here comes the bride. <laughs> Um, is a film that I made up this morning. Oh, John, your brain. Oh, I think it God. should be made. No. I mean, I, I would pay to see that film. Only you, John. I would pay to see that film more than Victor Frankenstein. Who should play the lead role? Uh, Daniel Radcliffe and James McAvoy. Yeah. But yeah. Just in random scenes and it's never explained. It's like Daniel Radcliffe read the script halfway through the shoot and disappeared. And we got McAvoy in to finish it off. And just didn't mention it and hope nobody noticed. Wow. <laughs> well. You see, I put a little clue in because the character was called Connor. And I was trying to con you into thinking it was real. Oh, I see. We should have watched that Leprechaun one instead of Mulan. Yes, that, that is a real <laughs> film. It was called Leprechaun 2 in America. And it stars Warwick Davis as the Leprechaun. I think, actually think I've seen oh, it. Oh, right. And in Britain, it came out just after Four Wings and a Funeral. And because it has a wedding in it, they renamed it one wedding and lots of funerals in an attempt to cash, cash in. in. It's awful. Well, there's a surprise. <laughs> I would expect so from the summary, yeah. It's better than Leprechaun 3, which is Leprechaun in space. <laughs> um, and then there is one with Snoop Dogg called Leprechaun in the hood. <laughs> it's, it's hard to tell where the buffalo bluffs end and begin, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and they all sound Warwick Davis during what I can only call his lean period. 
<laughs> but the Leprechaun series um, has recently been rebooted. So for a bonus point, Dan, you may know this. Who has taken over the role of Warwick Davis in the Leprechaun reboot? That would be Dylan Postel, also known as WWE's Hornswoggle, or The Little Bastard, as he was known in the early phase of his career. That is correct. Yeah, he's turned up in quite a few horrors and things like that. Mm. I have three pieces of trivia. One of them is a lie. Number one. Terrible 1985 comedy, Transylvania 65000, was funded by Dow Chemicals. Number two. Before he directed Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn appeared in the Sergeant Kabuki Man TV short Public Service Announcement in the role of Insane Masturbator. <laughs> Although whether he wanked because he was mad or wanking drove him mad isn't made clear. <laughs> Does it have to be one or the other? <laughs> <laughs> and number three. Star Trek The Wrath of Khan is regarded as one of the best Trek movies. Its director, Nicholas Meyer, has written three spin-off novels for competing franchise Babylon 5. Hmm. Well, that, that reminded me that we were going to do a spin-off chat this episode, weren't we? We were, yeah. Yeah, so I think he's come up across that in his research. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that the film Transylvania 65000 definitely exists. I've seen it, yeah. That's all I know about that. Why did Dow Chemicals fund a film? Uh, they had lots of money in Yugoslavia, and you're not allowed to take money out of that territory. So instead, they had to make a film and use the profits from the film as a way of repatriating the money. I see. Seems logical. Clever rebuff there, Peter. Well done. A Sergeant Bookyman NYPD is a character from Troma Films. Yep. And I know that James Gunn was involved in Troma a lot in the early stage of his career. He wrote Tromeo and Juliet, I think. So certainly James Gunn was around Troma about that time. So for him to be an insane masturbator <laughs> makes perfect sense. As anyone who's seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2, that was a three-hour wank, so... Mm. <laughs> could that be a sneaky double bluff, and it could be his brother, Sean Gunn, who is one of the actors in the Guardians films? He's Rocket Raccoon, isn't he, and other roles as well. Now, I think that Sergeant Kabuki Man is a very niche character, and only I would be aware of his existence, so... I have heard of him. Has anybody else heard of Sergeant Kabuki Man and YPD? Nope. No. So there's too much kind of weird inside nerd knowledge there. Either it's true, or Peter is trying to trap me because he knows that I would know <laughs> all of this, and I don't know which. I do believe the first one with Dow Chemicals and um, the Gina yeah. Davis and yeah. Jeff Dalton movie, that's quite common that um, Hollywood will source interesting finances, uh, especially if they're struggling. Definitely believe that one. Yeah, me too. I think by process of elimination, then, it's the third one. It's Star Trek. Yeah, I think he might have written spin-off novels, but not for Babylon 5. The first fact about the comedy, which was funded by Dow Chemicals, is true. Apparently, it cost $3 million to make and made just over $7 million in the US. The fact about James Gunn is also true. Uh, he was cast as Insane Masturbator. <laughs> Uh, he was in a number of other trauma movies, which I kind of expected that John would know. The one I sort of made up is uh, about Nicholas Meyer, the guy who directed Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. Uh, but he did write three Sherlock Holmes novels. Ooh. And he directed two Sherlock Holmes movies, one of which was Time After Time, 
uh, in which H.G. Wells uses a time machine to go and chase after Jack the Ripper. That's a great movie. It also had Mary Steenburgen in it, which explains why she didn't freak out when time travel was explained to her again in Back to the Future 3. <laughs> um, and he also wrote a bestseller called The 7% Solution, which had Holmes going to Sigmund Freud for advice. Mm. The Sherlock Holmes estate tried to sue Netflix recently over a film that they've made, which stars Sherlock Holmes's niece as the main character. The very early Sherlock Holmes stories are all in the public domain, so anybody can adapt to them. But then there was a big gap, and then there was the later stories where he came back, and they are still in copyright under the estate. So you can't use any elements of those stories. And they said that because in the film, Sherlock Holmes is seen as respecting women and treating them well. He didn't do that in the books until the later books, and therefore it's a breach of copyright because showing Sherlock (laughs) Holmes not being a terrible misogynist... (laughs) <laughs> it's almost like saying because he didn't take opium all the time. That means it must be based on the later books. Mm. One of the most secret gay relationships ever in the history of literature. Holmes and Watson. They did ejaculate a lot in these short stories, <laughs> didn't they? <laughs> there were dozens of ejaculations. <laughs> Seriously, if you read them, it's obviously it's um, a thing of the time. But Yes, because it, it means to speak. Let, let's get in this taxi, Holmes ejaculated. <laughs> <laughs> Dan. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> do you have a before bluff? I do. Uh, so this month marks 100 years since Buster Keaton's first short, One Week, was released. So I've got three facts about Buster Keaton. Hmm. And I was lucky enough to get to see One Week in a double bill with his film The General, which Orson Welles once described as the greatest film of all time. And it was in a theatre with a live piano player and it was amazing to watch these films the way that you would have watched them 90, 100 years ago. So if you ever get a chance to go and see classic silent films live, please do. But anyway, here are three facts about Buster Keaton. Number one, Keaton grew up performing with his parents in vaudeville and so he only ever attended a single day of school. Number two, Keaton and Charlie Chaplin, the other great star of the age, never appeared in a film together. And number three, Keaton was injured several times while making his films. During filming on 1924's Sherlock Jr., he broke his neck performing a stunt. Oof. Well, I'm pretty sure that he came from a a vaudeville background. I'm pretty certain about that. So the fact that he probably never went to school... Isn't surprising when you're on the road. I know that he did all of his own stunts, so I'm not surprised that he broke his neck. And I, I'm tracking my brains. I can't think of an instance where I saw Chaplin and Keaton in a movie together, but that could well be wrong. Does anyone know which uh, movie studios they were both with? Max Sennett was one of them. Mm. But then didn't that Chaplin broke away, didn't he, and formed his own United studio. Artists, yeah. United Artists, yeah. I'm going to keep quiet because I know the answer to this. Hmm. Maybe it was Chaplin who broke his neck. He was in one of his flip flops. <laughs> Could be, yeah. That's what they called them at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keaton was renowned for his stunt work, you know, the crazy stuff that he used to do, mm-hmm. the, 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 the house falling down of his head and the jumping over trains and things. That was all him. Uh, incredible stuntman. Just like Jackie Chan, he probably injured himself an awful lot from doing these crazy yeah. stuff. Apparently, Jackie Chan cites him as an inspiration for mixing physicality with comedy. Yeah, And also, he's repeated some of the Keaton stunts, like having the side of the house fall on you and yeah. you be yeah. in the window so yeah. you don't get squished. 
So I'll, I would go with he broke his neck, probably. I think I'm going to go with he was never in a movie with Chaplin. I think I'll go for that as well. <laughs> what? Just because I, 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 Ian, I know... you flip-flopped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit stumped, but I was leaning towards that one as well. Ooh. Very good. So, John, the correct answer, if you will. There's a, a beautiful film Chaplin made his later career called Limelight that Buster Keaton appears in. Oh. If you haven't seen it, go and see it. It's amazing. It's, it's great. I have seen it. Oh, yeah, no. John is correct. Yeah, uh, Chaplin gave Keaton a small part in 1952's Limelight. Uh, so yes, uh, they did travel all around the country as a vaudeville family. They were known as the Three Keatons, and audiences were concerned at the way Keaton's dad used to throw him about and look like he was beating him up, but he knew how to fall, so he never got hurt. Mm-hmm. Or so he claimed. So there's Michael, Diane and Buster. Were they the Three Keatons? No. Um, (laughs) He did once break his neck performing a stunt. It was a scene at a train station. Keaton was hanging from a tube that was hooked up to a basin full of water. The water poured out of the basin on cue, but the force was so powerful that it broke Buster's neck. But the footage of that is in the final film. So if you watch Sherlock Jr., you will see him break his neck with the intensity of the water. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, great performer. Well worth checking out some of his films. I'm sure loads of them will be on YouTube now. Did I ever tell you about that time I was um, in a casino with the star of Tim Burton's Batman films? Oh, no. Um, I was a croupier, and um, I was playing, and uh, he came and he played Blackjack. John, no. And he, he, he got a 10 and a 9. Stop, John. He got a 10 and a 9, and he was going to stick. That's enough. And I was like, oh, no, no, Stop carry now. on, carry on. And he got please. another card, and no, it was please. a 3, so that gave him 22, so... I bust a Keaton. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> now I know what I haven't been back for months. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's time to get political. I have the plot of three political propaganda films, Ooh. one of which I have entirely made up. The first one is called Russia Without Putin. So shortly before the presidential election, uh, Putin's supporters released a video positing what the country would look like if the opposition slogan of Russia without Putin became a reality. And there is a claim that this video is traced directly to a government-funded organisation. The film features a month-by-month future accounting just how the Putin-less apocalypse will go down. So, for example, in May, the Russian nuclear arsenal is put under American control. And in November, skinheads win the Russian elections. So it plays on the fear that Russia will be forced to return to the suffering of their past. So runaway inflation, ethnic turmoil and food shortages, essentially, is what they're trying to play up. Um, and let um, it be clear for the listening public we are all very much in favor of Vladimir Putin and have nothing <laughs> bad or objectionable to say about him please don't yeah. hurt us actually I can't stand the guy I think he's a terrible leader and I think that is it a... <laughs> Putin is great actually I'm a really big fan of Putin and I think he should rule for a lot longer film number two is uh, called the hand that feeds or Lem- Hang on. La Manica (laughs) Alimenta, something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this is a Cuban uh, propaganda film. 
film was an incredibly powerful tool for the revolutionary government after 1959, um, but this is perhaps one of the strangest examples from this time. So it's directed by infamous filmmaker Alfredo Guevara, and it centers on a wealthy family who are politically supportive of the old regime. They are shown um, enjoying huge delicious feasts and uh, also exotic women um, every sunset. They live in a mansion on top of a hill, um, but far poorer families are shown living at the bottom of the hill and they're struggling to make ends meet. The film soon turns a bit from dusk till dawn because as the sunset goes down, the members of the wealthy family um, turn into their true selves, which are these vampire-like dog monsters who then charge around the neighbourhoods on the bottom of the hill, stealing their food from the poor families who spent all day cooking it. So the idea behind the movie was to strengthen the idea that the old president, um, Batista, was corrupt and tyrannous and shouldn't be followed and shouldn't be trusted. And the new government was pure and righteous and knew what was best for the people of Cuba and its uh, stance on the world stage. And the third one is called um, Spies Are You, and it's an Egyptian propaganda, uh, very short film. It's it's more of an ad, to be honest. Um, and the, the scene is a, a cafe where a man walks in and sits down and there's ominous music playing everywhere, um, whilst a narrator's voice says, from the beginning, he knows his mission and target. He will sneak into your heart as if you were old friends. So it goes on to warn uh, Egyptians not to open up or complain to foreigners for fear they are spies looking to harm the country. And it closes with the line, every word comes with a price. So it's kind of strange, though, because the things that people are complaining about in the cafe are uh, seemingly rather dull. So, for example, the conversations that the spy is listening to are about gas prices and transportation difficulties. It's unclear at the moment who was behind the ad, but it did appear just days before a presidential runoff. And it sort of raised suspicions that it was linked to Egypt's intelligence agency. And the ad was soon pulled, saying it had been misunderstood. So you've got Russia without Putin, you've got The Hand That Feeds in Cuba, and you've got Spies Are You from Egypt. Which one did I make up? Well, I believe that nobody could possibly conceive of a Russia without Putin, even in a propaganda context. So just by the basis of logic and subordination to the great leader of Russia, I would have to choose that one. Am I covered? I have got a cup of tea next to me. I don't want to drink it unless I'm certain. <laughs> I did see two men come in to look at a cathedral near you recently, Don. Oh, yes. I did ask and they were just looking at the beautiful 123-metre tall spire. Yes. <laughs> Spires like us. Hey. <laughs> With the last one, did it star Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase? Oh, uh, nobody gets that reference, do they? I do. <laughs> I haven't seen the film, but I've seen the Family Guy episode based on the film. Mm-hmm. Well, I concur with Dan. I think nobody could possibly ever criticise uh, <laughs> our, our great leader. Not safely. Vladimir Putin, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but I, I think it might have been prescribed to an earlier version before he came into power, and perhaps a Gorbachev or someone like that. So I think there's some truth in there, but I think that film was probably made about an earlier, less worthy than our mm-hmm. great leader. <laughs> Uh, that, so I think that one's the false one. The fact they talk about skinheads winning suggests that yeah. it's like an 80s thing rather than a, a present thing. Although there is quite a current skinhead movement in Russia. Is there? Mm-hmm. Will we be able to check that uh, our listens in Russia go up or down after this episode comes <laughs> out? Yep. 
<laughs> no, because we'll be dead. I love you, Mr. Putin. I love you, Mr. Putin. I, I love you, Mr. Putin. I'm going to pick that one as well, but for a different reason, which is just that's the kind of the easiest one to make up in a way, and that the other two are a bit weirder and bizarre and more full of strange detail. Yeah, so. and you don't think I'm capable of coming up with something like that? Well, I didn't want to say it. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I, I believe you, Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Putin. I believe you. <laughs> Hazel pulls off her wig, and it's just a bald patch with a red mark on the top. <laughs> um, the second one is quite interesting, because there is kind of a lot of political allegory through horror and things like that. And that, that, that's the thing that's been done quite a lot. So I can believe that one. The third one... Short advert. Complaining about gas prices and stuff, maybe, you know, a sign of civil unrest would want to be stamped down, so that makes sense. So whilst I want to be different to everyone else, like being in communist Russia, I'm going to be the same as everyone else and go for the first one. I want to change my mind. <gasps> I'm going to pick the Egypt one. The Russia without Putin one is the one that I thought you were probably going to go for because it does sound the easiest to make up. Um, it's it's true, that one. It's That's a genuine film probably made by Putin and his supporters um, to try and stem the uh, movement and prey on people's fears. The Egyptian spy one is also true. The one that I made up is the Cuban revolutionary film. I did study um, revolutionary films in Cuba for my university dissertation. So I was kind of drawing on a bit of knowledge from the way that they would they would go a little bit more surreal and use like metaphors. But um, I made up the entire thing. So fuck you, Peter. Cool. <laughs> fuck you out of ten. <laughs> At any point in the Russian propaganda film, is somebody ill and then another guy goes, if he dies, he dies. When was the last time there was a buffer bluff and nobody got the right answer? A long time. Have a trophy, Hazel. I'm handing it over to you. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah. I got it from Moscow recently <laughs> from a good friend. It's some perfume. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. Don't lick it. <laughs> Never my sex tape. Ah. Oh. <laughs> now let's hear from Dan, because he's been to the cinema to watch Tenet. How did you find it, Dan? Um, and a solution that we aren't a I'm there. Say, now I'll say some stuff in the chronological order that you might understand. <laughs> My wife and I went to the cinema. Uh, <gasps> to, I know I said uh, it again. Um, hooray. When Hazel asked, how did you find it? She meant, did you use Google Maps or do you live close <laughs> enough to the cinema that you know where it is? It or? was within walking distance, which was okay. great. And I remembered where it was. It's been six months since we've been to the cinema, but we thought Tenet was a film that probably should be seen on the big screen. It felt safe. Masks were on throughout uh, it was all good. We like to sit quite near the front at the cinema anyway, so we're as far away from other people regardless. Uh, you can ask me anything about the film, but I cannot promise <laughs> I can explain it. Mm. There were points at which I thought I had a handle on what was going on, and then I realised I really didn't. You've kind of just got to let it wash over you and enjoy it while it's happening, but if you think about it afterwards, it will just make your head hurt. John David Washington is really good in it. He's got so much charisma, which we knew from seeing him in Black Klansman, and he shows that in a blockbuster setting here. The other main thing that I took away from it, I don't know whether it was because we hadn't been to a cinema for six months, but it was really loud. And I'm not sure whether there have been comments about Nolan's sound design 
in this film. Yeah. yeah. Lots. Lots about mumbly dialogue as well, I've heard. Don't know whether it was that so much as the background noise is so loud, it doesn't matter how clear the dialogue is, you don't really have a chance mm-hmm. of understanding it. There's a scene at the start in a freight yard where there are constantly trains zooming past and you can barely catch a word. Can you give us a spoiler-free synopsis or is it something you've really got to go into blind? Because I know the trailers have been very, very vague about what the film's about. I've got no idea. It's not so much going in blind to it as I'm not confident I could tell you what happened. (laughs) I know that things happened in roughly the order in which they happened, or maybe they didn't happen in that order. I'm not certain, but I'm just thinking of how I can sum up the plot. And not for a spoiler reason, I'm just thinking, do I actually know what happened? Which isn't... And Simon Brew has written about this on Film Stories on his website, talking about how if it wasn't a Christopher Nolan film, would we have let another director get away with us going yeah we don't know what happened we don't understand it but it's fine it's still good or are we excusing that because it's nolan i'll give it a go john david washington is caught up in an organization that is battling forces from the future they have the ability to send things backwards in time Washington's character, who I don't believe gets named. Isn't he called the protagonist? That's (laughs) actually his name. Let's go with that. (laughs) So the protagonist has to try and combat forces from the future who seem to be working with or for an arms dealer played by Kenneth Branagh. And it goes from there. Hmm. That's about as clear as I could be. Its strength is probably spectacle. Is it that much better to see it in the cinema than wait and watch it later? Yes, there are some great set pieces. I don't think watching it on a TV would give you even the level of satisfaction you got in the cinema not understanding it. It was just nice being back in the cinema. There are some great action sequences. You don't really need to understand what's happening. You can enjoy the action and the way it's all been put together with planes and boats and cars and guns and soldiers and stuff. I think if we'd watched it for the first time on a TV, we'd have probably turned it off or got bored. How many marks out of Tenet? Hey. Oh. No. While watching it, I would probably go as high as eight Tenets out of ten. But within ten minutes of leaving the cinema, that had dropped down to about six. Amy started at around a six or a seven. She's since gone down to five. Lots of people have said if you see it twice or more, it all starts to come together and make more sense. But I didn't enjoy it enough to go again. So that's how, like, Christopher Nolan is doing it. It's like, yeah, you have to see it two or three times. (laughs) Meanwhile, he counts his golden coins. (laughs) That he got from a thousand year old leprechaun in exchange for his. Did I make my Christopher Nolan film joke? I'm going to regret this, but go ahead. <laughs> what Christopher Nolan movie is also what Marlon Brando wanted to get in a streetcar named Desire? Interstellar. Correct. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that brings us to the end of another Nerdfest episode. Thank you so, so much for listening. Do check us out on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. And if you uh, feel like it, you can also leave us a lovely review wherever you listen to your podcast. And whilst Ian sniffers a can of deodorant, John is going to tell you about the reward for our listeners. Yes, sir. If you leave us a nice review, I will come to your house in the middle of the night, come into your bedroom, crawl into bed next to you, give you a little cuddle and mop your brow whilst explaining the plot of Tenet to you. <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks' time with some brand new recommendations for you. Until then, you've been listening to... A man who would watch a Nolan film starring Buster Keaton. <laughs> Ian McLaughlin. <laughs> a man who is funded by Dow Chemicals. But I'm sorry, I can't hear you, sorry. I went deaf after an explosion in a fireworks oh, factory. for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> And a woman who might not be on the next episode thanks to the political reprimand I've just had from Mr Putin. We love you, Vladimir. We'll see you next time. Love you, comrade. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. John, who's that behind you? Uh, that is my nephew, Harry. Oh, put him on. Okay. <laughs> He's the world's biggest four-year-old Star Wars fan. <laughs> hello. hello, Harry. <laughs> I'm going to put the headphones on so you can hear people, okay? Hi, Harry. Who's your favourite Star Wars character? Talking to the microphone. Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker. Yeah, good choice. Why is he your favourite? Because lightsaber. Because of his lightsaber, yeah. <laughs> what colour would your lightsaber be? Green. Green? Yep. Mine too. <laughs> Tell them about the Sarlacc pit. Sarlacc pit has been for 100 years. <laughs> it is a terrible fate. Harry, Harry. Oh, oh he's gone. Too late. Okay. I was going to ask him what he thinks of Jar Jar Binks because uh, I think he... <laughs> Jar Jar Binks is a poo-poo head. Was and he boos whenever Jar Jar goes on the screen. So we have been, uh. we've been training him very well. <laughs>